way of doing things and the world's way of thinking and the world's way of doing things um, <clears throat> to now plugging in and linking up with how he actually is and how he actually does things. And so today, <clears throat> as we're in the middle of the upper room discourse, I believe that John 15 is, is, is probably the hinge of the gospel of John. The gospel of John hangs on the hinge of John 15. Without an understanding of John 15, um, with, I, I think this is besides the passion narrative um, up in the latter chapters of John from chapter 18, uh, from chapter 18 uh, on, I, I think that those are dope, dope, dope um, chapters. Uh, however, here, I think that these chapters kind of hold the book of signs together, the, um, the, the upper room discourse together, which is the middle part of the gospel, then the last part of the gospel, the ultimate passion of Jesus Christ. Many of us in our lives, we, we, we go through a lot of spiritual up and downs. If we would admit it, we go through a lot of issues where we're kind of, we, we kind of experience high highs and we experience high, uh, low lows. And, no, and in the midst of that, we always are in question. We're always are wondering, Lord, what in the world is going on in my life that causes me to be back and forth like this? And, and, and so in our lives, we have to learn, I believe, the secret of what it means to no matter whether you have high highs and low lows, what it means to actually be a beastly Christian no matter what type of circumstance, what time of life you're in, you got to continue to rep the reign of God. And so Jesus, as he has just left the upper room, he's gone out of the upper room. Many believe at this point that when Jesus comes out of the upper room, um, because it was nighttime um, and he was about to be betrayed, um, that, that, that there was a vineyard outside. And there was a vineyard outside. A vineyard is where they grow grapes. And that he and his disciples snatched up some torches. And as they snatched up some torches, Jesus goes out from the upper room where they've had um, the Last Supper and, and, and where they see that the betrayer has dipped. And after they see that the betrayer has dipped, Jesus Christ, they, they've had um, communion with the Lord. They've experienced the feet washing of the Lord. They've experienced the preliminary teachings on the Spirit of God coming to keep them post the departure of Jesus in his ascension. And so here they're carrying torches and they're going through, and Jesus stops within this vineyard, and it becomes a live illustration of what he is about to teach them. He's about to teach them. He already taught them that the Spirit is going to be in them once he dips. But, but, but he wants to now tell them how to keep it going with him once he's dipped. How to keep it going with the Lord Jesus Christ when, when he's physically absent, how to make sure that your life consistently makes a difference, how to make sure that your life consistently is filled with potent impact, how to make sure that your life is on the same page as God, how to make sure that your life is smack dab unadulteratedly in the, in the middle of the will of God at all times. Jesus opens up this vineyard to give them a secret. And this secret that he gives them it, 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 it's a beautiful, beautiful prose as he walks through it. He begins to talk to his disciples about his relationship to the father, his father's relationship to him and his relationship to the disciples. Let's read John 15. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit. 
he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples." As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. I want us to talk about, just as 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 a brief subject today, Um, The expectation of true disciples. The expectation of true disciples. You know, I'm concerned about the state of God's church today. Um, Because we have set such a low bar for what a disciple is. Matter of fact, it's rare that you hear people even talk about discipleship. As a matter of fact, the reality of discipleship is rarely brought up in relation to the body taking responsibility for actually not just making them, but actually being a disciple. And so what's important is, is that we as the church of God must begin to gravitate towards what it means to be a beastly disciple, what it means to be in great adult relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And right here in this passage, we see that Jesus Christ is about to lay out his 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 the best of what it looks like for disciples who are truly disciples to continue to flesh out what it really means to be a true disciple. And so in verse 1, Jesus uses the illustration as he's holding the torch in his hand. He says, he says I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. This, is, this brings me to my first point. The father's relationship with the son ensures the development of authentic disciples. The father's relationship with the son ensures ensures the development of authentic disciples. Jesus Christ doesn't just say that he's a vine. He says he's a true vine. We have to understand the purpose of a vine. Well, a vine isn't just something that Tarzan swang on. A a vine is something that is utilized to connect to any type of, of, of plant that presents itself as a tree or a bush to make sure that nutrients are properly pumped into those branches and into that tree to make sure that it has life, to make sure that it has sustenance, to make sure that it's taken care of, to make sure that it even bears fruit, to make sure that the branch or that which the vine is connected to 
doesn't front on what it's proclaiming to be by appearance. See, one time Jesus was looking and he saw that there was a fig tree far off and he looked at that fig tree and he, and he said, and it was in leaf. And he went up to the fig tree and he cursed the fig tree because he said on the outside of the, he said on the outside of this, I know fig trees because I've seen them before. But this fig tree is not even prepared to bear fruit. And because of that, he cursed the fig tree and said, may it never bear fruit again. He, he doesn't, Jesus doesn't like people who front on being something that they're not. And so right here in the passage, he says, he's the true vine. Stay with me. All of this is building a foundation for good application, good nutrition, and direction in life. I'm the true vine. Well, in order for him to be the true vine, there had to be a vine in the first place. Well, in the Old Testament, we don't have time to turn to all of these passages. But Ezekiel 15, verses 1 through 3, Isaiah 27, um, um, a lot of passages talk about Israel being the vine. And what Israel was supposed to do as the vine is Israel was supposed to represent the reign of God. And what Israel was supposed to do was it was supposed to mediate the blessings of God, the nutrition of God's kingdom to the world. And so what God ends up doing in Ezekiel chapter 15 is he puts Israel on blast and says, yo, you haven't been bearing fruit through making sure that you take my resources and properly funnel them to the world so that the world can be blessed based on our relationship. So what happens is, is a prophecy is proclaimed. And in Isaiah 27 verse 2, it says one day Israel will finally bear the fruit that it was supposed to bear. But listen, Israel wasn't supposed to bear this on alone. And so Jesus says, listen, I am the true vine. He says, I am the vine that that prophecy is talking about. (coughs) Messiah was supposed to be the one who takes the place of Israel and properly mediates the blessings of God to the, uh, to, to the people of God, making sure all of, every, all, all of the blessings of God, everything that has to do with his reign, everything that has to do with his kingdom, and everything that has to do with their sustenance and growth is taken to them. And so Jesus Christ moves Israel, is removed out of the way. God still has a plan for Israel, but God has moved Israel aside and put Jesus Christ as the ultimate place of sustenance and resourcing. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5 puts it this way. In verse 2, I mean in verse 3, in verse 6, in verse 7, in verse 9, and in verse 10, it says that Jesus Christ, God is blessing the world through releasing all of his spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ calls the people of God to abandon their normal sources of sustenance. And he says the same thing to us today, that many of us, many of us are depending on a lot of things to take care of us. Many of us are depending on false relationships that haven't brought any fruit. Uh, False friends, boyfriend, girlfriend, um, th- our job, our, our degrees, whatever it is in our life, what happens is, is we allow that thing in our life to begin to replace. So we find fulfillment in that. And so Jesus Christ says, nah, I want you to disconnect yourself from every source of nutrients that makes you look like it. And I want to reconnect you to me so you can look like me. So Jesus says, all of the other vines, all of the other sources of income, All of them are fronting. Jesus says, listen, 
I'm the real one that is able to bring the right nutrition to your life, not to fulfill your dreams. And we're going to talk about that in a minute, because most people want to connect to Jesus to fulfill their dreams. But we have to be very careful because God will do something with people that tries to use Jesus Christ and his name for their own personal ends. And so Jesus goes from there and, and he not only says, he says that I am the source of all sustenance, all resourcing, all minerals, all eternal nutrients. But then he goes from there and says, my father is the vine dresser. Now, vine dresser just means farmer or gardener. So what he positions and he pictures the father as is the father is the supreme caretaker of the vineyard of God. The people of God are God's vineyard that God tills, and we'll talk about it in a minute, to bear fruit. So the father and the son coexist in a banging relationship together to make sure that everything that God has for his people gets to his people. But the issue is, it's not merely our scratching and scrounging. It's the relationship that starts first between the father and the son. And so the father oversees all of this. So as the father is the gardener, the gardeners in these times would go through and they would make sure that the vine was picked up and that the, that the vine was lifted up properly so all of the nutrients could go through the vine and go into the, um, the branches of the grape so that the, uh, the, the grape branches and it could, could cluster real nice like. But he takes care and makes sure the vine is properly positioned to pour nutrients in us. But then he not only relates to the vine, he also relates to us because authentic disciples are continuously pushed. Authentic disciples are continuously pushed and uh, consistently pushed to be more productive, to be more productive. Look at what it says. It says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Stay with me. He says, every branch, he says, every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. That's a hard statement. I want us to think about it for a minute. Every branch that does not bear fruit, the gardener would clip off because the branches that weren't bearing fruit would pull on the vine and pull on the other branches so much that they would take away from the ability of the branches that really bore fruit to actually properly pull on the nutrients of the vine. So in order to make sure that the gardener gets a, a, a fat yield off of his branches, what he would do is he says, let me, oh man, this branch isn't bearing fruit. I can't do anything with this branch. What he does is he clips it off so that the other ones could properly take on and be resourced by the sustenance that comes from the vine. And so in this passage, what, what, he's, what he's talking about is he's showing them that this is what a, a false disciple looks like. False disciples are those who do not bear the marks of people being in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. God, the, the God did not call us, like all of us are all people, and it trips me out with our questions. We always see how much fruit we can't bear to remain Christians. 
Like we say, like, like how much do, can I not do to make sure that I get into heaven? And like here, like in, in the scriptures, like it's not talking about loss of salvation or anything. What it's talking about is, yo, you need to be positioned because this isn't your identity. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul tells them this. He says, for some of you were homosexuals. He says, for some of you were whoremongers. He said, for some of you were fornicators, liars, thugs. He says, but such were some of you and you have been washed. In other words, they were acting out the identity of people who are not in a relationship with God. And so what Paul had to do is he had to call them to be in a beastly relationship with the Lord God. So what he did was he said, listen, this isn't your identity. And so Jesus is doing the same thing here. Jesus is saying, yo, this isn't your identity. Your identity is not to be known for a, to be a crew of people who don't bear fruit. In Colossians, it says, put away from yourselves unforgiveness, worldly passions, uh, greed, all of these different things. Because he says, when you put those things away from you, it maximizes your ability to not only keep your mind on things above, but to bear the marks of a person that's in a real relationship with God through Jesus Christ. <clears throat> the Bible says also in 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, verses 4 through 11, it talks about it. It says, it says that, that if, if, if God's character is not developing in you, if your character isn't developed in you, you become unfruitful and, 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 and separated from your ability to maximize your kingdom representation. And, but he says if these are increasing, you will continue to grow. So in this passage, Jesus is talking to his disciples about, yo, this isn't your identity. This is not the norm. And so we can't, in our context, let people get away with just coming to church, just being in the mix, and not being confronted with fruitlessness. See, our problem is, is we've allowed so many people to gather in the mix and be called something they're not. Because we want some people to be Christians so much that we give them Christianity without seeing the fruit of Christianity. And so, I'm not trying to say that we go around looking under people's armpits, some, some, what you got up under your, I mean, is there any fruit under there? Let me see. In your, and, and I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that we're supposed to be bountifully inspecting one another's lives so that we can be in community so that we're properly bearing fruit and reflecting that. And he's going to show what bearing fruit looks like in a minute. But then he goes, but, but what's interesting about this is this isn't church discipline. Like a lot of people try to interpret this to say it's church discipline. It, take away could be translated lift up. That's, that's not the point of the passage because the reason why you know that's not true because in verse 6 it says that these branches are thrown away and burned. So these aren't believing branches. These aren't people that are in the Lord Jesus Christ. These are people who have come into the community of faith and have attached themselves to the community of faith, they even sing praise and worship. They sometimes run around the church. Sometimes they serve. But when you look under the cover of the cloud and the shroud of their externalness, the bearing of the grace of God through a, a, a character laced with God's truth is unfounded. And so right here in the text, God says he's not going to get, let you get away with it. Now what's funny about this is Jesus says that the Father takes them away. So, so, so what's powerful about this is that the Father 
will allow. See, I, 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 I remember the first person left Epiphany. I'm not saying they weren't believers or nothing. But I remember that thing, that thing almost rocked my world. You know, I went home under a shroud of depression. And I, I was just like, but then I started looking in the Bible. And I just started realizing that sometimes God saves us the trouble. And he will remove from the mix people that will damage the people who really want to bear fruit. Ah, see, we got we to gotta be very, very careful of trying to, again, make people Christians who aren't Christians. Now, are we to share the gospel with these people? Absolutely. But the point of the passage is, is don't try to make people what they're not and depend on the Lord God to sovereignly remove them. Uh, my, man, my man John said it in John chapter 2 like this. He said, they went out from among us because they're not of us. Now, uh, that's not what you use. Now, listen, that's not what you use when somebody transfers from one church to another. And we say, well, since they don't want to be with us, they went out from among us because they weren't of us. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a person that goes out and they go uh, back in the world and they go deeply into the world as if nothing happened to them in relation to their relationship to the community. That might have been God's sovereign way of removing them so that those who want to really bear fruit, bear fruit. So now I know some of us are looking like, okay, that's good that you're talking about the people that leave. But now Jesus focuses on those who stay. And this, is, this, this sounds like brutality, what he's about to say, when you understand what happens. He says, he says, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. He prunes. The word can be translated cleanse or clip. He clips. He clips them. What will happen is in, uh, that, that grapes bear fruit in the spring. And they bear fruit in the summer. <laughs> what the gardener would do is he would go up after, this, after he's picked all of the grapes, picked them all. That's why we get nice clusters of grapes, white grapes, you know, Concord grapes and all of that. But left is a branch that has to rebear that the whole next year. And so what the, what the, what the gardener does <laughs> is he goes up to the place where that fruit was removed. He takes his shearers. And he begins to cut in the place of where the fruit was so that he can open it up and so that it can survive the brutality of a winter. If he doesn't cut that, that place up where that fruit was removed to be utilized, then what would happen is, is that branch wouldn't bear fruit the next season around. And so what he has to do is he, what he does is he lifts them up because they were hanging over because the grapes um, were growing. And so he has, to, he has to clip it. He has to pick it up. He has to lift it up. He has to dust it off. He has to get insects off of it. He washes it. He cleanses it. And he cares for it so that it can bear more fruit. And, and many times this time, when, if you ever saw a guy doing this to a plant, you would be like, yo, he, like, is he destroying the plant? No, he's not destroying the plant. He's developing the plant so that it could properly bear more fruit. Many of us misinterpret God's cutting at our lives and working in our lives as him rejecting us. But God uniquely takes you through things so that you can bear fruit. 
God's goal is that you may bear the marks of a person that resembles him in looking like they're in a relationship with him. But many of us get caught up in the fact that God is snipping away at us. But little do we know that if we're able to graciously endure the season of snipping, there's going to be a massive amount of fruit bearing that takes place. But you have to, and some of y'all haven't been through much yet. Some of y'all haven't been through enough yet where you felt the snipping of the sovereign shears of God and he's cut away at you. He snipped away at you and you was like, God, enough is enough. He says, nah, fam, I'm not finished. And he cuts and he snips and he, and he chops and he wipes and he sweeps away at your life and your soul in order for you to bear fruit. But many of us have to stop focusing on the shearers and stop focusing on the fact that God wants to produce proper growth in us. I like the way uh, John, um, uh, Bruce Wilkinson said it. Bruce Wilkinson says, he says, God's goal isn't merely subtraction but multiplication. <clears throat> he said, pain always precedes fruit bearing. Duration, depth, and breadth of pruning seasons vary. No season lasts indefinitely. What's powerful about being in a relationship with God is, as I like Psalm 23 when it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley. See, God will take you through unique valleys to, to make sure that as you are in the deep, the depth of that valley, that he's going to take care of making sure that you come out of that valley because he wants us to not stay, make a tent in the valley and build a house in the valley and start a business in the valley. But what he wants us to do is he wants us to move through the valley. He says, in our lives, in our lives, we, we, look, we must look like disciples, regularly scheduled trials and community relationships. He says right here, he says, you are already clean because of the word that I spoke to you. And so what he's saying to his disciples is he points back to when he was washing their feet. In, in chapter 10, I mean, chapter 13, verses 10 through 17, and Jesus was washing their feet and cleaning them off as regularly apart. He says, and do this for one another on a regular basis. So productive branches are always cleansed so that they will bear more fruit. And remember, it is always God who makes sure that the pruning takes place. In other words, the, and so, so what, what happens in our lives is so many times the boundaries of who is actually a cleansing branch and who's actually a, fruit, a fruitless or a dead branch doesn't always come clear. And so these are some practical ways this actually looks. This actually looks. The issue, pruning, cleansing types. There are two types of ways that God prunes and cleanses. He disciplines and he develops. He disciplines and he develops. This is what happens. It says, how do I know it's happening? Like somebody might say, how do I know I'm actually getting chopped up by the Lord? Pain. Pain. If you're hurting... He's cleansing you. But God only used those deeply who he hurts deeply. Some of us may pray, use me, Lord, use me, Lord. God said, all right. He said, oh, okay, I got you, dog, I got you. And then he get to snipping away and he say, whoa, 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 whoa. Many of us have to learn the cost of being used. Whether it's discipline, whether you are out of the will of God, or in the will of God, 
it's all pain. But check this out. Next, maybe you're asking this question. Why in the world is this happening to me? For, di- for the person being disciplined, you are doing something wrong. You're doing something you ain't got no business doing. So why am I going through all of this pain? Because I am choosing to live a life not in, 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 in concert with the life of the Lord. But then development You are doing something right. Do you know that God will cause you to be in pain even when you're living life right? Like, don't assume that God rewards you with a lot of physical enjoyment just because you won a few battles. Because many times we say, well, we believe after God, after we bear a little fruit, people give us a few little compliments for growing spiritually or for being an example. We begin to stick our chest out. And what happens is, is we begin to enjoy, like, oh, yeah, yeah, I deserve a season of grace. Yeah, I deserve a season. I I deserve, God, a season of chilling. I I deserve me a pina colada season since I've been walking with you so much. And as you begin to think like that, He's on his throne looking at you like, just because you said that, there's more pruning to be done. But not only that, somebody might ask, what is my level of fruitfulness? What is my level of fruitfulness? Well, that's key. This is key. This is key. This is key. He's okay. This is key. This is key. No fruit. If you ain't got no fruit, the first stage is to bear fruit. Like, if you don't have fruit in your life, now every believer shows fruit. There's no such, let me say this, no such thing as a fruitless believer. Let me say that again. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there is no such thing as a person that that bears goose egg marks of being a Christian. If you bear goose egg marks of being a Christian, guess what? You ain't no Christian. That's hard stuff. Because we, all, we always teach an unbalanced understanding of grace. Grace doesn't just keep us saved in relation to how bad we live and test it out. May it never be. But grace causes us to be worked in the hands of God in order to bear fruit. So no fruits in the basket. If you're being developed, now God has already seen that you've developed fruit. So now he takes away the fruit that you're doing in order that you'll bear fruit. And what some, some gardeners will do <coughs> is when their when they're grape, grape branches bear little, little grapes, sometimes you'll see when you get a cluster of grapes, they're real plump grapes, and then there's a grape that look like, uh, you know, a, 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 little, a little pebble. Well, what happens is he didn't remove all of the first tier of growth on it. What he'll do is when you first grow your little grape, he'll take that off so that you'll work harder in depending on the vine to make a bigger piece of fruit on that particular branch on that branch. When Sometimes God will remove, you, th- you thought what you were holding on to was something, and then God took that thing away from you. The reason why God was taking it away from you is because that wasn't big enough. Notice he, and we're going to talk about the succession of bearing fruit and then bearing more fruit. But then he says, what is the father's desire? What is the father's desire? For the disciplined person to bear more fruit. And then to bear more and more fruit for the person that already is developed and have fruit in the basket. 
But then the question is, what needs to go when you're being disciplined by the Lord? Sin. Real simple. Sin. Everybody, I don't care if you're developing, you're always in some area of your life being disciplined. Every, all, all the time. But then from there, what else needs to go if you're developing? Self needs to go. Because what happens is when you develop, again, you begin to get self-righteous. And so what happens is in order for God to continue to get a yield out of your life and my life, he has to snip away at us. So how do you feel usually when you're getting disciplined? Guilty and sad when you're getting disciplined. But Christ bore our guilt so that we can move beyond our guilt. But not only that, how do you feel when you're being developed? Relief and trust. At the core, at the core of many of the issues that most of us are dealing with in our life, it's this issue. At the core, I don't care whether it's your marriage, I don't care how single and fine you are and how much you got. Listen, I'm going to tell you right now, at the core of every Christian's life is the discipline and development. And you're always in the season of both or one or the other. I'm telling you. And if you don't learn the secret that Jesus is teaching in this passage, you will get an in-depth frustration. You'll, go, you'll try to go get counseling from everybody. And what will happen is, is you'll stop spending time with God. You won't be praying like you're supposed to. And, and you won't spend time in the Word like you're supposed to. Then you want somebody to counsel you out of your lack of taking care of business. And so what happens is, is the, most of our issues go all the way back into submitting to the cleansing of the Lord. But then what is, what is the right response to discipline? Repentance. Stop sinning. Repentance. That means to change your mind and turn the other direction. What is the right spot, response to development? It's stop fighting. It's stop fighting. But then the question is, somebody might be asking, I, I hear you. But when did all of this stop? When you stop sinning. When you stop sinning, he won't cut you in that area no more. And in development, when God is finished getting the product of fruit that he wants out of your life. And, and listen, he's going to get it whether you like it or not. Let me tell you something. You can fight all you want to. But I'm telling you, ask Jacob what it looks like to wrestle with God. God, Jacob was wrestling with God and God was trying to get Jacob from being a shyster. And, 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 the, and, the, Lord, and, and the angel of the Lord just laughing, saying, that tickle, Jacob. Uh, on by me again, on by me again, that's, that tickle. Then after, after he saw the sun about to come up, the angel of the Lord said, all right, I guess it's time to put in a submission move and put him in submission. He just touched his ankle and, I mean, his uh, uh, waist and it went, went, it went out of socket. And he got in a submission movie. He's like, uh, uh, he, then he, but he still held on to him. And he said, Lord, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. Until my life bears the fruit of the fact that I've been with you, I'm not letting you go. And if you, if, if you, if, when you know that you're desperate to be like Christ and you're desperate to bear the marks of being a true disciple, when you say, Lord, I'm in the midst of this and I don't care if you let me out of this or not. All I'm saying is, is I'm not letting you go in the midst of this until you bless me. So that's what, I, that's, that's what Jacob did. I think that, that's, what, that's what we should do. Hot spots of the father's shears. There are four hot spots where the father likes to cut. Um, the people you love the most, 
in the people you love the most. If you fix in your mind whatever it is and whoever it is that you love the most, what will happen is God is going to cut something in relation to you and that person. Your right to know why God does what he does. He'll cut away at that. Your love for money and possessions. Like, God won't give you more. He'll cut away what you have in order for us to bear fruit. Not only that, alternative source of significance. Point two, point two, we're going to move forward. We must actively participate in displaying the marks of an authentic disciple. Although God the Father and God the Son (coughs) uniquely work together to produce growth in us, the Father cleanses us, Jesus works together with him, but then he also holds us responsible for participating in the process of us bearing fruit. Let's look at what he says in verse 4. He says, abide in me, and he says, and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide Unless you abide in me, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is who bears much fruit. For apart from me, you, can do, you, can do, you can't do anything. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Then look at verses 9 through 10. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So what happens is, is Jesus uses, several times he uses in verse, he uses in verse 4, he uses in verse 5, he uses in verse 6, he uses in verse 7, and he uses in verse 9, and he uses in verse 10. He uses the word abide, say abide. Abide means to remain. Abide means to remain. It means to be a fa- faithfully connected and to faithfully draw on the nutrients of the, uh, of the vine. That's what it means to abide. Jesus says that we must be abiding in him on, um, on, 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 consistently on this. It first, uh, the word first appears in John's gospel in uh, chapter 1, verse 38, when the disciples first met him. And they say, yo, man, where you, where you, where you staying at? The word there for where, where you staying or where you are, uh, uh, are remaining is the word abide. Not only did they want to see where he was, John was using it as a double entendre to say, yo, this is what it looks, this is what it looks like when disciples want to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. Abide, abide also, abide also means, um, means for the disciple to share in the new life of God that transcends death through the cross of Christ. In other words, covenant discipleship, that is, in a relationship that, 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 that means not just a loosey-goosey relationship. It means pulling on Christ to experience the life, the blessings, the resources of the Father forever. Remember, the resources of the Father, fathers, Jesus is the mediator to make sure that those resources get to us. The word embodies the image of the community, that is Jesus, of the disciples who are in covenant community. So, so abiding literally means to remain. So it, it is our responsibility uh, to grow Our responsibility for growth flows out of utter dependence on Christ. Christ says, you can't bear fruit unless you're abiding in me, unless you're drawing nutrients off of him. One of the things that I've learned is my day, I don't care who you are, 
I don't care how many scriptures you got in your soul, but you can't continue to not spend blocks of time in prayer, spending blocks of time loading up in the scriptures. Many, I, I like, I got so, if I start my day, like some people say, well, I can do it at night. Well, I do it at lunchtime. Well, I do it, like if I get up, I'm, I'm grouchy. If I begin to start my day, if I begin to start my day and begin to go through my day and haven't really gotten with the Lord deeply, and the more responsibility that the Lord has given me, I got to spend more time in prayer. Now, that sounds like a simple principle, but most of us, if we admit, if you ask anyone, how much time are we really spending in prayer, actually abiding in the Lord's presence, hearing the voice of God, getting in the scriptures, and, and not just saying, okay, I'm going to read this. Three, you know, how, how some of the devotionals, I have three words from the scripture, then three dots behind it. And he said, then they'll have a whole paragraph. And then one day there was a man, and going into all of this stuff, like, you got to, it's time out for three-word devotionals. Like, we got to now get in some blocks of reading the scriptures, studying the scriptures, and spending time, blocks of time in prayer. You know that you're not abiding well if you get bored while you're praying. Like, and most of us, <laughs> most of us don't work through the boredom of the first stages of prayer. Most of us don't work through it. So we continue to be bored with it. And we say, well, I know they say I should spend time with God. I know that this is a part of my abiding process. But what I'm going to do is just to say that I did it. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Lord, we bless you. We thank you. Play bless my day at work, Lord God. Bless the people that get on my nerves, Lord God. Lord God, I love you. And I thank you for this day. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Then start reading. And then get up, I spent time with God. No, that's not abiding. Abiding is deeper than just, just throwing out words to God. Abiding means that through Christ that you're taking advantage of that relationship through engaging in heartfelt, honest supplications and prayer and that you're spending time for it. So that means that some of us are going to have to get up earlier. Some of us are going to have to get up earlier. That means that if you're going to get up earlier, some of us have to go to bed earlier. That means you got to stop running the streets. That means you can't stay on the phone. I, I know, girl, man, you know. Man, when I look at the stars and I look at them, I see your eyes. You know what I'm saying? If you notice, if you notice the constellations up there, um... Oh, a shooting star. I made a wish. Guess what it is. Like, you don't have to get off the phone. And begin. Now, some of us can survive on more sleep. Praise God for y'all people. Praise God for the people that can sleep two hours and get up and, and be like they drunk uh, eight cups of coffee. Bless God for you, but everybody, some of us, many of us, our lives are so disjointed and undisciplined, that, and we are, our lives are cluttered with so much that it makes it impossible to draw off Christ. Our lives are cluttered, and, and so what, what we need to begin to do is we need to start making a priority list of things in our life. We got to start saying, I'm going to cut this. I know, because sometimes every good opportunity is not a God opportunity. Uh, let me say that again. Every good opportunity isn't a God opportunity. 
You have to learn how to build your life from the inside out. That is the secret of abiding in Christ. If you build your life based on opportunities, then Jesus, then opportunities rule your life. And after a while, you're abiding in opportunities and not in Jesus. And you wonder why you're burnt out, you're frustrated, and, 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 you're, and you're looking at the wrong thing on the Internet, and you're going to this place for this, and you're going this place, and you wonder why. It's because your defenses are down. Most of our issues are core to abiding. And so what happens is when you take a day and you don't abide, I'm not saying you got to do it every day, but you got to abide in some type of way in relation to that, even though we consistently abide in Christ through relationship. But what happens is take another day. Oh, I get up the next morning. Oh, I get up the next morning. Oh, I get up in the next morning. A trial come. You mismanage it. It stays on you. Don't get up and spend time with God. Don't get up and spend time with God. Don't get... Never trial come, hit you, you're weighed down. Then you come to the body of Christ asking for help. And, and, and we're looking like, yo, it's, you should have called us in, in, in the first quarter. It's the fifth quarter. Um, the other team is on, it's first and goal, and you calling us at this point. No, you got to backtrack and begin to re-abide again. No matter of counseling, no matter of talking with somebody, it's going to solve the issue of abiding. You can process all you want. You, I need somebody to sit down so I can process my issues with. Okay, once you get through processing and learning why your mama was like this and why your daddy was like that and how they got you like this and how you had a bad model of this, how you had, at the end of the day, you're going to have to get in some time with Jesus. And, and what happens is some of us even have a real good time with the Lord. Those are dangerous days. Watch out for good times with the Lord days. Now, some of y'all looking at me like I'm crazy. Those times where you have a good time with them, you try to live off the high, especially if you've been to a conference. You know, all the people were in there going, get crunk, get it up, get crunk. And you up in there, I'm just hyped from the conference. I'm just hyped. And you come back, and that week you don't spend no time with the Lord. Then you back to square one. I got to bear fruit. So the issue is, is we got to be careful of, we got to, the time where you get that great high from your time with the Lord is the time to push even more because I'm going to explain that to you in a minute. I don't want to get ahead of myself. I don't want to get ahead of myself. So it's our responsibility to make sure that we do this. Jesus says that apart from me, you can't do anything. Apart from me, you cannot do anything. I, I, some, of, some of the people um, who are working on their doctor with me, they, they had to turn in their papers. <clears throat> And when they turn in their papers, they, we used to put it into Arabian or MLA format. Well, when they, put them in, when, when they turn them in, they don't have it in any of that format. And so many of them had their graduation rejected and, or had their paper rejected because it wasn't based on the format. And they keep telling them, listen, what you have to do is I want you to pull out the book. And I, when you pull out the book, look at that format, look at your paper, connect your paper to this format, and that's when this paper will be acceptable. But the paper, the, the, the project is not acceptable until the format, until you abide and stay connected to this format. What God is saying to us today, that I don't care how good you think you're doing in your life, no matter how many plans, no matter how many dreams, how many aspirations you have, if you do not connect to the divine editor, your stuff going to be jacked up. Said many are the plans of a man's heart, but the Lord weighs his motives. <clears throat> but then he goes through and he does something. Being an authentic disciple flows from faithfully connecting with Jesus. 
faithfully connecting with Jesus. Again, again, look at, look at, look at a couple of things where it talks about bearing fruit. Bear fruit in verse 2. Look at bear fruit. And verse 2 is in there twice. Bear, bears fruit, then bear more fruit. Look down, and it'll say in verse 5, bear much fruit. Then look down, in verse 8, it'll say bear much fruit. In other words, there's a, there, there is eventually a succession within this. So bearing fruit means to bear the marks of what it means to be a true disciple. Regular connection to Jesus increases our capacity to be identified, to identify as belonging to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus promises that if we faithfully connect to him and depend on him, we will bear the marks of a true disciple. We don't spend, so, so, so that's, that's one of the big, big pieces of that. I remember when my phone was, was, was acting up, my phone would just turn off and turn back on. It would just drop calls. And so I was like, man, why, why is my phone doing this? So I took my phone into the Sprint Center and I said, I said, I got a Trio 650. They said, why? I said, I don't know why my phone is doing this. They said, oh, when the last time have you connected your phone to the computer? And I was like, oh, you know, it's been a minute. They said, well, you, they said, connect your phone to the computer, sync it up with it. And when you sync it up with it, then call us back and see if you have the same problems. What I had done is I was adding information to my phone, utilizing my phone, and my phone couldn't handle all that information by itself. And so it began to not work normally how it's supposed to work. But as soon as I sank it up to my computer, connected it to my computer, and because my computer is able to bear more information than my phone is. And because of that, my phone started working again. The reason why many of our lives are acting the same way on the fronts is because we're not properly connecting to the Lord Jesus. So Jesus says, bear fruit, bear more fruit, bear much fruit. In other words, what God wants for our lives is for us to have the first tier of bearing fruit, then bearing more fruit on top of that fruit, but then bearing much fruit, bearing much fruit. Um, our, our, our capacity to bear fruit is tied to being submissive to the Father's shears. Each one of these builds upon one another. If you don't build the first stage of bearing fruit, some of you say, I wonder how this person is able to have such a high capacity to be used by God. I'm always blown away by Piper, Driscoll, all these guys who can have a banging family life, who can have a bang, they, they, write, they, they write all these books, um, they, they manage blogs, they shepherd well, they prepare for messages, they do all of these things and they do it well. And, 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 what, and, what, and what, I've, what, I've, what I've learned from these guys and watching them is they don't, they don't try to retract in their fruit bearing. What happens is the more and more they're faithfully to plugging into Christ, Christ will increase your capacity to bear fruit beyond your ability to bear fruit. And what it tripped me out is, is each one of these areas of these guys' life look like a full-time job was put into each one of them. But they, it wasn't that they, each one is a full-time job. It's just that they are so connected to the Lord and, and, and drawing resources off of him that he takes, he takes the, the, their normal ability to bear it on their own. It takes it beyond their ability to do it. That's why Christ says, apart from me, apart from me, you can do nothing. I like the way Psalm 66 12, 11 and 12, it says, for you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver. You have let me ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, yet you have brought us, us out to the place of abundance. 
you have brought out us out to the place of abundance. So again, Christ points to the reality of the fact that we can't do anything without him, that we must remain in his love, and that we must remain connected to him through his word. Last but not least, the final point, the final point. There are tangible signs of one being an authentic disciple. There are tangible signs of this. So now, what does it look like to bear fruit? He says it in the passage. He says, he says in verse 7, he says in verse 7, he said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Let's start, before we talk about asking what you will, and it will be done for you. Let's look at that word wish. Wish. That word wish could be translated not only wish but desire. When you abide in the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ reformats your desires. In other words, the way you, like desire here just means it points to redeemed motives, redeemed, redeemed, uh, redeemed uh, volition. In other words, God buys back our ability to have passions that are after his, purposes that are after his, even our pleasures are after his. He says our hearts are authentic, are, are, are continuously developed to be authentic before the Lord Jesus Christ. This sometimes involves pain, though. And what's powerful, Psalm 37, 4, we talked about it week before last, says, um, it said, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Well, many people love to quote that verse, but the point of the verse is not our desires. But when you're delighting yourself in the Lord, God reconfigures and redeems your passions so that when you start asking God for stuff, it's not stuff that you would normally ask for. But it's stuff that you're asking for because Christ has, has redeemed what you actually like. And sometimes what you ask God for will still hurt, but that's still good abiding. Because that doesn't mean that you always feel good. It's just you know through fighting that having God's pleasures is a good thing. And so the question is, what are we desiring today? What are we desiring for? What are we dreaming about? Everybody likes a message to say, let's come in so you can fulfill your dreams. No, the cross calls us to come and abandon our dreams. But the question is, will we bring our, will we bring our dreams, will we bring our passions to the cross, lay them at the feet of Christ, and allow the slain lamb's blood to wash over old and foul passions? <clears throat> and this is risky business. But it's the best business to be in. But the issue is, it's not for us to bear the marks of what makes a person successful. The, high, the seven uh, habits of highly successful people and all that. All that's good, but you got to have a habit of abiding. But, then, but then, then as he finishes, Jesus does something real, 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 real banging. As he closes out, he says, after he talks about his relationship with the Father again, abiding in his love and abiding in his commandments, keeping his word, he, talks, he, he, he goes in and he talks about, um, he said, if you abide in my word and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done, done for you. But he says, by this, my father is glorified. By what is the father glorified? God is most glorified when we reflect and bear the marks of a true disciple. A true disciple, a person that bears the marks of a, a disciple are those who have crucified desires. That's number one. If your desires aren't crucified, then you're not a real disciple. And secondly, you see a consistent repetition of answered prayer. It's in the text. Listen, 
if your prayers are, never get answered, I'm not talking about them prayers you got to wait 20 years on because you need to, like, you need to grow into some things. But I'm, not, I'm talking about, like, if your prayers never get answered, nine times out of ten, you might not be praying the right thing. People always ask, how do I pray? How do I do this? Jesus says, our Father, who art in heaven, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus opened the prayer with, may earth reflect heaven. Heaven is where there is no fallenness. Heaven is where your holiness is unveiled. May, 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 Jesus says, when you pray, the first thing you should ask for after you bless his name is you need to ask that everything in your life comes under subjection under heaven. And if you're not praying, like some of us, our prayers are too small. You know that you're developing into a true disciple when your prayers scare you. If you haven't prayed in a long time and your prayers haven't scared you, like you say, Lord, like sometimes I'll pray, I say, Lord, I, I, I'm really hating to pray this, but I know it's your will, and I don't know how you're going to bring it to pass, and I don't know how you're going to cut me. But Lord, look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus says, Lord, if it's your will that this cup may pass from me, he says, let it pass. But while he was in the midst of praying, he says, oh God, but not my will, but thy will be done. And what's powerful is, is if you, you know that you're a real disciple when God is always stretching you beyond your normal bowels of what you would ask for. And then you wouldn't, you don't just ask for stuff for yourself. You ask for stuff for somebody else, but not just somebody else. You ask stuff about the kingdom. If you're not praying about the kingdom of God, if you're not praying about the impact of the gospel, you ain't praying for real yet. Those are punk prayers. Lord, help me to get done. Lord, help me to get done. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Lord, help me to get a new outfit. Lord, help me to make sure my hair grow right. Lord, help me to make sure that my did. Lord, help me to get a boyfriend. Lord, help me to get a girlfriend. Lord, help me to help me to help me to help me to. Now you need help. We all need help. But our prayers got to get bigger. Our prayers got to get bigger. I got to move. I got to move. He says, in the midst of this, he says, God through answering the prayers of people whose desires have been transformed through the cross, God is most glorified when he's able to answer prayers that are in accordance with his word. Wow. Do you know that God uses our prayers to bring to pass his sovereign will? Things that God has been dreaming about for eternity. He utilizes our prayers. That's why our will is supposed to die. We're supposed to adopt his will. Now, this is not saying that you don't vent in prayer. This doesn't say that you, but you release those ventings and those frustrations to God so that you can get beyond your venting to vindication of the nature and purpose and glory of the living God. Then he goes and he finishes and he, I, I'd never even seen this in the text before, <clears throat> um, but, 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 but Jesus destroys it um, in his joint, man. He says, at the end of this, he says in verse 11, he says, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. Lastly, the authentic disciples experience Jesus's satisfaction with him following the Father through us following Christ. What do I mean by that? Notice he says, I abide in the Father's love, and the, loves, and the Father loves me because I keep his commandments. He says, may my joy be in you, and may your joy be made complete. Jesus says, 
this is Jesus' wish for us. He said, these things I've said to you, that your joy may be made full and that my joy may be in you. Joy means satisfaction with the Lord no matter what type of circumstance you're in. That's all joy means. Joy means satisfaction with the Lord no matter what you're in. Jesus says, <coughs> I have joy in loving the Father. I have joy in keeping his commandments. Jesus says, I find the most joy and satisfaction through doing what the Father says. He says, I have come to a place where the Bible says that Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered. So even Christ, being 100% God, 100% man in his humanity, learned. His, his deity didn't learn, but his humanity learned. But right here it says, Jesus says, may the way that I've modeled what it looks like to learn and to have joy, even when you don't want to have joy. He says, I want that satisfaction that I have with the Father, may, it be satis may that satisfaction be in you. And he says, may that satisfaction that I have with him, may you be satisfied with me in that way. And the question on the floor is, can we as Christians develop not just the, oh, I just got to do it mentality, but can we reflect a life that says, I actually do, I, I'm okay, I actually do have satisfaction with the way Lord is, the Lord is rigging things in my life. I like the way my man Bruce Wilkinson said it in another part of his book, Secrets of the Vine. He says, a testimony... It's the, it's the goal of mature pruning. He says that you will finally be so surrendered to God that everything you know, uh, you, I mean, I'm sorry, that, uh, everything that you now love dearly, even worthy activities and goals will be let go into the, uh, the, the sovereign keeping of God. What remains in your grip is one passion, one goal, one unhindered opportunity to bear fruit. Listen to what he says. He says, the truth is Christians who have experienced deep pruning don't focus on what is left behind. In other words, what lays out there after God has cut it away. They're given to courageous, hope-filled, forward-straining prayers in order of this. John Piper says something like this. He says, Lord, let me make a difference for you that is utterly disproportionate to who I am. May the fruit that we bear in our lives, may it be beyond anything we could ever do on our own. But because of being in, like many of us, and don't mistake gifts for abiding. I'm going to leave you with this word. Because many times, many times, listen, God will take a person that abides in him further than a person that's more gifted than the person that's abiding. Being gifted doesn't replace abiding. It draws its strength from it. But listen, God will make the person that abides in him look more gifted than the person that has the giftedness that's beyond the person that's abiding in Christ deeper. You're going to catch that on the way home. <laughs> abiding, listen, ab I'm telling you, it will take 
you further in life than anything that you can come up with. I'm telling you, staying in vital connection with Jesus. I'm not saying that we don't get counseling. I'm not saying that we don't get in relationships with people. I'm not saying that we don't go to community groups. I'm not saying that we don't go to Bible study. I don't say that we, we have short devotions and all that. All I'm saying is, and the point of this message that God wants us to get, is if you want to get credit for being a true disciple, then you got to draw deeply on the divine vine in order to have the nutrients that bear the mark of it. And at the core of our Christian life, if we're going to really do this thing right, we got to do it in connection with Jesus. We got to do it in connection with Jesus. And so I exhort you today as a body, I exhort you today, I exhort you today several things, several carryouts. Like you can't go to the carryout, this is your carryout today. Develop a right relationship with God's pruning. When God is cleansing us and working on us, develop the right relationship with it. Don't settle for being a subpar disciple. Don't settle for being a subpar disciple. Remember that God demands growth. It's not an option. It's a command. And finally, instead of complaining, instead of cussing and fussing, take advantage of the seasons that God is working on you. Take advantage of the seasons that God is working on you. Because those are the seasons where your prayers will be heard more richly because the pain is causing you to go before God and to hear his voice in a way that you've never heard it before. And may everyone that's under the sound of my voice in this room be proved to be the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father.